welcome to Community Life. We are so glad that you have chosen to spend this gorgeous, now gorgeous, it wasn't earlier, day with us. My name is Kristen McGrew. I'm the Director of Children's Ministries, and it's an honor to have you guys here today. Did you know that today is the typically the least attended Sunday in all of the year? Did you? Can you, like, see? But you guys showed up, so give yourself a round of applause. You did it. You get extra Jesus dollars today, and we are so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you're joining us too. If you guys will stand with me, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together to join our hearts together before the service. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, thank you for the sunshine this morning and just knowing that the sun does always shine even after bad storms, God. We thank you for Easter and for loving us enough to send us Jesus, God, for all the days that follow after Easter and just the assurance of knowing that you love us, that you've prepared a place for us, and that you always keep your promises. God, I just ask that you help us this morning to hear exactly what you would have for us to hear from the sermon, God, open our minds and our hearts, and then allow us to take that into the world and go share the love of Jesus with everyone we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Man, we are so glad you guys are here today. Um, raise your hand if you know that God works the most through our inadequacies and failures this morning. Everybody know that? Uh, I've, I've been reminded of that a lot this morning, that, that you know, when we, are, uh, when we are at our weakest and we're at our lowest, that's when God shows up and, and shows himself uh, the most. Um, this first song we're going to sing this morning uh, talks about how his love for us never fails. And um, despite our mistakes and despite the, the chasm that, that's between us and God, that, that God shows up and he makes a way and that his mercies are new for us every day and that he bridges that chasm for us. Um, and, and his love is just, it's always there. It never fails us. And he stays the same. Amen. Amen. All right, let's worship him this morning.
Continues to provide and to give us life and give us peace and rest this morning. You give life. You give life. You are love, you bring light to the darkness. 
give hope You restore every heart that is broken And great are you, Lord It's your breath It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise We pour out our praise It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise to you only We give life you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. So we pour out our praise to you, oh. 
Amen. Amen. Y'all, worship begins and ends with Jesus Christ. The only way that we have breath to, to pour out in praise is, is through him and through the sacrifice that he made to draw us near. And so this, this last song we're going to sing um, is one that we should all be familiar with, but, um, but it, it's all about putting our hope in nothing but Jesus, um, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. He, he takes the, the brokenness and the, and the shame and the, uh, the inadequacies that, that we give and, and turns it into something that's beautiful that, that, uh, that God is pleased by. Um, so just continue to worship with us this morning. Stop. 
with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. God, um, we come to you so expectantly. We've we've uh, gone through the Lord's Supper. We've gone through the crucifixion. We've gone through the empty tomb and all that Easter brought. But Lord, now we come with expectation of where do we go from here? We just come to you with humility and basking in the grace that your crucifixion and resurrection resurrection has given us, God. And we ask you to guide our steps, help us lean into living like Jesus would want us to live, God. We um, ask that we help those that are sick. We ask that you provide healing for those. Lord, help us comfort those that are grieving, and we know that you are the, the one that can provide the greatest comfort and strength during that time. Lord, this is such a broken world, but your Savior, our Savior, came, your Son, to save us and to help us walk a sinless life because we are saved through Christ. Lord, we just ask that you bless this message that Scott is about ready to give, and we ask that you bless each and every person in this congregation today so that we can leave here changed, that we can leave here and walk in the same kind of path the way Jesus would want us to. We ask it in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before you sit down, turn to somebody you know or don't know. Greet them, fist bump them, give them a high five. Say hello.
Well, good morning. I hope everybody is doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this currently beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you, whether you're joining us here in person or joining us online. Um, thank you so much for, for taking this time to, um, to, to spend with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover that source of life, that yes, you'll hold on to it, but you'll also share it with every single person that you encounter, um, because there's no question that Jesus has something to say about the craziness of this world. Amen? Can we all agree this world is crazy? Right. Amen. So we all need Jesus, so let's just get after that. Let's be about that. And if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you as a church, um, please let us know. We'd love to be able to do that. Uh, so a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to jump into some fun scripture today. I'm so excited. Today at... Six o'clock out on Navarre Beach is our sunset baptism service. So in last service, we had 59 registered to be baptized, and, and not just in that service. Like, and I went in and I said, oh, no, no, I'm obsessive compulsive. It can't be 59. And somebody stepped up. And so now we have 60 registered to be baptized, right? Isn't that awesome? So, um, but I'll take 70, so if there's 10 of y'all that want to go, we can do nice square numbers, do it that way, but that's tonight. Service starts at 6. We've got a bunch of hot dogs. We'll be serving food at 5.30. Come hang out with us. Get, to the, get over the Navarre Bridge, get to the stoplight, take a left, and just follow the community life flags. Um, the surf is only 2 to 3 feet. Last year, it was 4 to 6 with occasional 8-foot sets. And we didn't lose anybody. So this year should be just great. Um, come hang out with us. Even if you're not being baptized, it is one of the most meaningful, beautiful services. And the largest majority of this group, this is their first baptism, or first, this is their baptism. So um, we're just excited about seeing people connect to their faith. And, and so we would just welcome you to come out and be a part of that. Um, also, coming up, not this weekend, but the following weekend, our ladies are getting together for an IF conference. So yeah, huh? I know y'all are here. So ladies, if you're looking for a place to connect, maybe you've just kind of started attending the church and you're looking for those connecting points, um, that conference is coming up April 28th and 29th, but we need you to register. Um, $45 gets you food for the whole event. I think there's childcare. I believe there's childcare on Friday night that can be available. Um, it's ministry for both days. Absolutely amazing. And then from there, um, they create, put together small groups that you can be in that will just be your forever family. So I encourage you to go out, find more information. If the $45 is an issue, let us know. And uh, we'll remove all those barriers because we want you to find a way to connect. So, um, so stop by out in the lobby and get to see some of the ladies that are out there. Um, on the chair in front of you, there are two QR codes. And if you're online, we'll put it online for you. The one on the left is an active QR code that gets you the ability to register for all sorts of things, whether it's for if. Um, we also have our First Steps luncheon that's coming up here pretty soon. So if you're looking to find out more about the church, um, you can find that information there as well. And um, the QR code on the right is our giving QR code. Um, you can use that to connect. And thank you for helping us connect people to Jesus. Um, but if you're old school, like to write checks, we love you too. And um, we have boxes beside each one of the doors on the way out. You can just drop that in there. And, th and thank you so much for, for being such a blessing to this church and allowing us to do what we do. Um, okay. I think that's enough. That's enough infomercial for now. All right, I'm, I'm excited. And if you're here for the first time today, welcome to the party. Uh, Easter was amazing, but we're all still trying to recover. Uh, we had 2,600 that attended in person, another 250 independent IP addresses, so over 3,000 people. Isn't that incredible? 
It was awesome. Um, Tammy's not feeling well, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, the band is awesome. Them jumping in, and they, they got everything all worked out. Lori has such a beautiful voice, and I appreciate just everything just continues to roll. Um, but we're excited about what God is doing in this church and how we continue to roll. But here's, here's the interesting thing, and Kristen mentioned it earlier. So the Sunday after Easter and the Sunday after Christmas, they're the two least attended. Today's the least attended. The one after Christmas is the second least attended Sundays of the year. And so for me, it's a terrible time to start a series. So next week, we'll be starting a series. Today, um, it's going to be like sitting in the family room, and we're going to cover some scripture that I think you will love, Uh, give you an insight to the story that you've never seen before. But if you're new, you're going to be like, who is this preacher and what are we doing? This is what we do. I'm so excited. Anything I can do to connect you to the story and use these moments for you to understand that faith, understand the gospel message, um, I'm, I'm all about. Next week, we start a series called Numa, where we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, but specifically after John 13, so the, the Last Supper narrative that John tells in John 13, chapters 14, 15, and 16. So Jesus only had a few hours that he was with the disciples in that time before he was arrested and taken off to be crucified. In those hours, he has specific dialogue back and forth with them where he references the Holy Spirit, the practical nature of the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives to keep us connected. Chapters 14, 15, and 16, those are the three things that we're going to look at, the three chapters over those next three weeks. But today... To bring you and connect you even greater to the story, we're going to look at Peter and John, and we're going to back into those moments of failure for Peter and what they look like. The way John writes about those moments, if you understand them, then you can see the heart behind the gospel in greater detail as it unfolds in chapter 21. You've heard us teach on chapter 21 where Jesus um, makes a fire and he feeds them on the seashore, but you don't understand Peter's heart going into that unless you look at those denials in those moments. It's entertaining, it's fun, it allows you to see scripture in a different way, and I'm stoked. So you guys ready to go through that? All right, at some point when we jump to John chapter 21, I've got three pictures to show you. If I forget, somebody yell at me and I'll show you the pictures because I know that you guys are, you also are visual learners. So that way you can um, connect to the story that way. All right, so John chapter 18 is where we're going to pick up. Jesus and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Judas has left. He's gathered together all the people, and they're coming back to arrest Jesus. I want you to pay particular attention as we read these texts to John, Peter, the things that Jesus says, and how it carries into Peter's narrative. And I'll I'll highlight them for you. But here we go. John chapter 18, and we'll start with verse 3. It says, so Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so Judas shows up in the garden with an army. And and really, they weren't sure what to expect. Although it's the middle of the night, Jesus is a peaceful rabbi, but the people have gone crazy about Jesus. So they're not really sure what they're going to encounter, so they just send the kitchen sink. They send everybody there, soldiers, high priests, um, the servants of the high priests. They're all there ready to encounter whatever's going to happen, and they're going to confront Jesus to take him and and lock him up. Verse 3, or verse 4, then Jesus, knowing knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, whom are you looking for? Now, I want you to pay close attention to this next verse. Because I discovered something in the text 
that I, I knew it was there, but I didn't know how John uses it to connect to Peter's story. And so, so I'll highlight it here in a second. Verse five, they, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. So that's who they're looking for. And Jesus replied, what does he say? I am he. Translated for us with the he, but really, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am. It's one of the I am statements that Jesus uses in the gospel of John. And, and if, you, if you're not familiar with scripture, I am in the Jewish faith is central to who they are. When Moses was standing at the burning bush and God is about to send him back to um, Egypt, Moses stops and he says, okay, so when I go back and they ask who sent me, what do I tell them? And God says to him, you tell them I am sent you. That's an amazing name, I am. In this text, Jesus says to the people that are coming to arrest him, I am. Now listen to their response. I don't know that I've ever seen this response. I've skipped over it, I've read over it, I didn't know it was there, but listen to how they respond to it. He says, I am he. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he or I am, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Have y'all ever seen that? I don't know that I ever recognized that in scripture, but they stepped back and fell to the ground. So you have to ask yourselves, what's that all about? That would have been such a powerful statement that he made that they would have heard it and they would have, they would have thought of that as sacrilegious. Here comes the lightning, right? Like you can't say I am. Jesus is claiming to be who God said he was in that moment. So they step back and they hit a knee and there's an understanding of reverence or fear that envelops this moment that's so easy to miss if you just quickly read through it. Um, verse seven, again, he asked them, whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, and to I told you that I am. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that, had been that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave to me. Now remember the I am statement because it's gonna come back up with Peter a little bit later on. So hold on to that. Now verse 10 and 11, this is where Peter's demise it starts to unfold. This is where John starts to let you know how Peter just falls apart. Now, now just to kind of bring you up to speed, if you read through the gospel of John, every time John talks about Peter, 99% of the time, he paints Peter in, an, in a situation where he's either missing the point, in the wrong place, has the wrong response. He just always makes him look like he doesn't know what's going on. And it's about to happen again. So here we go in verse 10. Then Simon Peter, I'm gonna read all of it, then we'll come back and explain it. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now we read that and we think, oh, that's exciting. Right, like Peter's standing up and he's doing something awesome. Would you mind me to go back and tell you in context what happens here? Because this is interesting. First of all, John lets you know that Simon Peter brings a sword to a prayer gathering. <laughs> Just so you know. It says, then he says, he drew it and he struck the high priest, who? Slave and cut off his right ear. Now, Peter, who's so bold and so brash, Jesus, I'm gonna defend you. When the soldiers come up over the hill, he draws his sword and does he attack a soldier? Does he attack the high priest? Who does he attack? 
the least person in the whole crowd. He attacks the slave of the high priest who's there. And here's the interesting thing. If you're going to swing a sword at somebody as to strike them, you don't swing this way. You swing this way to try and remove their brain from their body. So John's also letting you know that not only did he bring a sword to a prayer gathering and he attacked the slave, he whiffed. And he cut his ear. Like, he can't even do that right. So really, in context, John's letting you know that, Jesus, that, that John is, is um, that, that Peter's just absolutely blowing it. And then to make matters worse, he gives you the name of the slave, Malchus. Now, a lot of times when that happens in Scripture, we don't know who this person is. But for John to tell you the name means that more than likely, this person at some point converted and became a central figure inside of Christendom. Otherwise, why would he have written that name? Right? So, so he's letting you know, and if you need to know, go talk to his family. Here's his name, just to verify all of these things that happen. So he gives you the name. And then verse 11 is, even, is just the absolute last punch to Peter. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into his sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? In other words, he sets up Peter as directly going against what God wants in that moment. And Jesus corrects him in front of everybody else that's there. And oh, by the way, other gospels tell us that Jesus reached over and healed this person's ear. John just conveniently leaves that out and lets you walk away from this story thinking that Peter brought us. Go through all of the different narratives. Peter's in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, can't even do that well, going against what the father wants. And you see this downward spiral start to unfold. So you're kind of getting the sense of that Peter is in a bad place at this moment. Okay, good. Whether you were or not, I'm gonna, that's where it's at. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is arrested and he starts the journey back. We're gonna pick up the story in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Who's the other disciple? John. John talks about himself in the third person always. You're about to find out that he's in the story. So John and Peter now are traveling together following Jesus through the steps that are about to unfold. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, so John lets you know that he's, he's known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was where? Standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. So just wrestle through this in your mind. John's letting you know they both got there together, but John had some connections and so he gets inside. Uh, Peter didn't even have the connection. So now he's got to go back out, talk to the woman at the gate to let Peter in. John gets Peter in. Are you with me? All of this role play just happens inside of the story that you miss unless you go back and read it. So the other thing you need to know is that this woman is aware that John is a disciple of Jesus. They're known to them. So this is not a secret. So what happens next is, is pretty interesting. John's, John's bringing you into the story. Um, so, so now Peter and John are inside. Verse 17, the woman said to Peter, you're not also, she, so she knows John is there, you're not also one of the man's disciples, are you? So Peter had nothing to fear. John is there. She knows that John is a disciple. Nothing's happened to him. He could have simply said, yeah, I'm, I'm one of his disciples. But look what he says. I am not. Now let's stop for a second. What did Jesus say? I am and what does Peter say? It is the direct opposite denial, not just of Jesus, but you could look at it and see the, the direct opposite denial of even the faith. 
the stance that he makes. John puts him in such a bad place and he uses the words intentionally. It's the same wording in the Greek to make that point that he connects and he shows the antithesis inside of Peter's heart that was in Jesus' heart. Jesus says, I am, I'm accepting the purpose that God has given me in my life and Peter says, nope, I am not. There could not be a stronger denial that unfolds in the story. And then the other piece is that he denies Christ to a woman. Now, that, that, that sounds offensive today. In that spot, if you would have read this in antiquity, they'd have been like, what's he afraid of? Right? Like, what's his deal? John's letting you know the context by which he does this. Now, the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire. Remember charcoal fire? That's going to be important for later. Because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming, him, warming himself. So you get the image now. Um, all this is unfolded. Jesus is, is inside of, of Caiaphas's home or he's in with the high priest. They're outside with the servants standing around a fire, having conversation, just waiting for it to unfold. John and Peter, they're close, but they're not too close. And they're just paying attention to the story as it unfolds. Um, those next few verses tell you what the, the conversation that Jesus is having. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, are you not also one of the disciples? Are you? He denied it and said, I am not. So John once again tells you that in the strictest words, he is, it's not just a denial, it, it, is, it is the antithesis of what Jesus said. Verse 26, one of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. Now here's an interesting piece. If you go back and you read Mark and Luke, Luke elevates the story a little bit and says, that when Peter denied Christ for the third time, he looks over and Jesus and him, they see each other and then there is a heartbreak in that moment and that's when Peter turns and flees and runs away. Now you may say, Scott, why isn't that covered in John? Uh, it's possible that right at the end of those first few verses, Jesus was taken and he was moved over to Pilate's home. So maybe they were marching him outside when, when Peter denied that third time and Jesus saw him do it and it confirmed exactly what Jesus said. So, so here's, here's what I want you to understand. Peter is at the lowest place he can possibly be. He's gone from the person who was the most boisterous advocate for Jesus, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna die for you, to now he's denying Christ in the simplest of situations and even did it right in a place where Jesus was witness to it. So I tell you all that for you to try and understand what Easter morning looks like when Peter runs to the tomb. And what our story is going to look like when Jesus has a conversation with him. Jesus, uh, Peter is reeling from these decisions that he's made and he feels like, not just a failure, he feels like a complete loss in the eyes of God. So you go through the rest of the story, Peter runs, he goes and hides and does not show back up until Easter morning. And so I'll just recap that quickly. Mary goes to the tomb, finds the tomb empty. She gets Peter and John. They race to the tomb. John beats them to the tomb. Peter goes in first, sees the linen wrappings lying there, but can't figure it out. John looks at them, sees it, starts to figure it out before Peter. They both leave. They go back. Jesus shows up to them not only once, but twice, once in the upper room and then twice a week later to prove himself to Peter. So they have had just to this moment, two interactions with Jesus, Peter that is. Two interactions with Jesus where they've, where they've been able to share and spend some time together, but Peter has not been able to offload the guilt and what he's felt to this moment, which then brings us to John chapter 21. And so this is afterwards. We're going to be dealing with a place called Tabga, 
beautiful spot on the Sea of Galilee. I've got three pictures that I want to show you so you can maybe understand in your mind what it looks like today. And so here, Scott, I don't know why I had to put my feet in there, just like a ding dong is what I did. But I sit here, these are my feet. We're looking out across the Sea of Galilee so you can see the cliffs and the mountains on the other side. When you read Sea of Galilee, you think it's massive. You can see clear across to the other side on a clear day. There's, there's no situation at all. So you can, you can see how calm it is, how beautiful it would be. Go ahead and put the next picture up. This is looking to the north. Um, this is the chapel that they built around this giant rock outcropping that comes out of the side of the water that's there. And it's the place where they believe 100% that Jesus fed the disciples Maybe, probably not, um, but that's where they believe that he was, and so they built a chapel around it. So you can see, imagine this topography where Jesus would have met them on the seashore, built a fire somewhere there. Now, if we look to the south, um, you can see the shoreline. Go ahead and go to the next picture. You can see the shoreline as it goes around, and right over here in the corner to the side, you can kind of see some of the, the buildings up on the corner. That's where Tagba is. Who do we know that comes from Tagba? I'm not Tagba, uh, Magdala. Who do we know that comes from Magdala? Mary Magdalene. So that's where Mary Magdalene is from, in that little part of the land where it comes down in that area. So you can see it down to the south. Um, beautiful place. Wonderful. And I, I pray that everybody gets an opportunity to go there and, and, and be a part of that landscape and get to feel what it would have been like knowing. Here's what you do know, is that is the area where Jesus did this. And you can say 100%. You just don't know the exact spot. So it's cool. So Tammy and I just sat there and prayed and, and, and the whole team did. It was, it was beautiful to connect to the story. So imagine that place as we pick up this story and in your heart, go ahead and reconcile how Peter is feeling. Even after seeing Jesus resurrected, knowing the guilt that he's still carrying for his mistakes. Verse one. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Looks like Thomas didn't want to ever miss out again, so he's always with them. Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, John the writer of this, and two other disciples, and they're not named. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And you may say, what, why is that significant? I think John is trying to let you know that, that in between this time, they weren't really sure what to do. And so in some ways, they revert back to the life that was there before. I mean, if you've ever made mistakes in life and you just kind of find yourself back at ground zero, this is them going back to that starting point, trying to figure things out. They knew how to fish. Well, at least we think they knew how to fish. They don't ever catch anything. But they go back to that starting place. I'm going fishing. Uh, another piece of information. I'm, I feel like I'm loading you guys up. After Jesus is resurrected, he... He spends 50 days um, with the disciples or visiting others around. He's not with them for the solid 50 days before he ascends to the Father. But he does appear to them multiple times. And so you're in this window where he's only appeared to them twice and they're waiting to visit again. And so they're waiting. They decide to go back fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. So the disciples go with Peter. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, surprise, they caught nothing, right? So they couldn't fish before, catch stuff. They, they don't catch it now. Verse four, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now we're not able to haul it in because there were so many 
fish. Now, this is where John once again starts to tell you how he figured things out before anybody else. Listen to what he writes in verse seven. That disciple whom Jesus loved, we all know who that is, right? John said to who? Peter. So Peter has no clue what's going on, but John's going to let him know. Said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked. Now this is where I have to stop reading scripture. This fact is not necessary in the story at all, but John wants you to know what he's been dealing with all night long. I'm just saying, right? Like, like why else would you put that in there? There's no bearing on it. So anyways, I, I don't, okay, moving right along. So he puts his clothes back on for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. Now, now John wants you to know that he doesn't think this is the best decision. Verse eight, but the other disciples came in the boat. <laughs> and that's funny. He's dragging the net full of fish. So he bailed on us. We're gonna come in the boat. And he says, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. So he's like the knucklehead. He just jumped in the water. He could have just stayed in the boat, helped us get this stuff in and pull it in. Now that's me saying that, but you can see it right behind the story. This is John giving you the greater narrative of, of, of what's there. Verse nine, when they had gone ashore, they saw the what kind of fire? Charcoal fire. Jesus does not miss details. The failure of Peter early in the story, you, you, you've you ever walked into a situation where you smell a certain smell, it could be a cologne, it could be you go to a part of the world and you smell it and it brings you right back in time. Jesus built, it would have been so much easier for him to build a fire over wood, he builds a charcoal fire and I'm gonna tell you, it's the beginning of bringing Peter back into the fold. The smell, the experience, he's going to bring Peter back to a place to where he can be restored. Um, there's a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread because Jesus knew he better provide it because he didn't think they'd ever get any. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught so he allows them to participate. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. So John just wants you to know, and he still had to get back in the boat and finish the job that he bailed on. Full of large fish, about 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So John closes out that section. Now, verses 15 all the way down through 19. We've taught this before, we've talked about it, and I've taught it in a particular way before that I always felt comfortable with, but there's a piece that just doesn't make sense. This week, I think I found the, the missing part of the equation that, that allows the conversation to feel normal. Um, and, and here's what happens. I'll tell you what happens on the front side, then we'll read it. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. But they have multiple meanings for words for the, their word love. So he says, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Agape. Do you 100% love me with everything that you are? And Peter responds, I phileo, or I love you like a brother. That's the response that you get back and forth. So let's go through the dialogue and, and I'll tell you what, what I believe happens in this story. Verse 15, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Do you love me 100% more than these? Now you can say, who are these? 
Is he referencing the fishing stuff? Is he referencing the disciples? Nobody knows. Uh, The way John wrote that, he could have been referencing anything. I don't know that it matters, but he's questioning him. Do you love me 100%? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So just for sake of argument, 70%. I love you like a brother. Uh, Do you love me 100%? I love you 70%. Does that kind of help you in the story as we read it? You know that I love you 70%. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you agape 100% love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. I 70% love you. Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Phileo, Jesus switches the word. Do you phileo love me? Peter felt hurt because he said it a third time and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It sounds so odd. And and the way I always understood it was Jesus lowered his expectation and said, okay, I'll take you right where you're at. I think it makes more sense if we recognize that in this moment, Peter is broken. And from the very start, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Are you fully all in? And Peter's saying, I thought I did. I, I told you earlier that I did, but I want you to know that apparently I'm missing it and I, I am only to the point of being able to love you this much. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And he asks him another time, do you love me? And he says, apparently I, I would love to say that I love you 100%, but 70%. Do you see the contrition? It makes more sense inside of the story. And so then Jesus does, the truth still remains. Well, Peter, do you love me 70%? And he says, you know everything. Like before I told you this and you told me that I was gonna deny, you know everything. You know that that's what I love you. Here's the remarkable part of this and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus never changes the command. He says, then feed my sheep. Peter was not able to disqualify himself for what God had called him to. Jesus still keeps the purpose, the design, and the heart that he has for Peter, even though Peter recognizes his own failure. And here's where the power of this message comes in. Verse 18, Jesus now takes and affirms everything that is inside of Peter's heart to do. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. Peter, you used to love me 70%. You did, but you did whatever you wanted to do. There was a time when you were younger that you did that. He said, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. But Peter, I want you to know that there is a time through transformation, through serving, through doing this, where you will fully live into the purpose and the design that I have called you for your life. And then he ends with this phrase, follow me. And I tell you, that is so powerful because it's a reconnection back to the very first moments when Jesus met them. He says, follow me, new season. Push that other stop behind and let's go. Follow me, let's lean into the purpose of what you've called me to do. And we discover one of the most profound, beautiful, restorative messages in all of Christendom when when Jesus restores Peter back to the faith. And going through all those exercises, you might say, Scott, why did we do all that? I wanted you to see the depth of the depravity of the denial that Jesus gave in those moments. It wasn't a moral failure. It was a denial basically of God. And we see Jesus and his love for Peter in this moment, and it's just so amazing. I love scripture. 
I, I don't like the way that the, the calendar falls out to where we go Maundy Thursday and we talk about the Last Supper and then we go Good Friday and we put Jesus in a tomb and then it's Easter. You miss these stories in between that give us so much insight to understand the greater story, but John wants you to see the redemption. And so is that interesting to go back through and see all that stuff in that narrative? I hope it is. I hope you guys are like love scripture as much as I do because I'm jacked up about it. So here's what I would say to you today that really resonates with me as we go through this. The first part is that the gospel message has to be central to everything we study. That if you've never taken the opportunity, here's a different, different line on it, a different thought. You know, we talk about Jesus in terms of salvation and that's key. But do you know if you've never allowed Christ to be the center or the, allowed him to be at the helm of your life, you're missing out on the greatest adventure ever. This world, our life, our breath, the reason that we're on this planet is because of the greater story. And until you yield your heart and your life and you invite Christ to be a part of your life, then you are disengaged from the greatest days of experiencing purpose and design. And so I would say to you today, the gospel message is yes about salvation and yes about eternal life, but it's about life now. It's about experiencing everything that God has for you. So I pray that if you're on the fence about this religion thing, push the religion to the side and trust that Jesus has something to say about your life and giving you life right where you sit today. So I hope that you become a believer in Jesus. That's number one. Number two, after Easter, sitting here the day afterwards, um, most of the people, most of you that are here, most of you that are watching online, um, you, this is your system. You, you have faith, you come to church, it's a part of life. But here's what I know. There are things that some of you are holding on to in your heart where you would say to yourself or you would say to God, because I've done this, then I no longer can experience the fullness that God has for me. That because I've done this or made this mistake or this moral failure or this has happened in my life, then I'm not on plan A, B, C, or whatever it is. I've completely missed out and I'm just glad to be on the team. And so you deselect yourself. I'm gonna tell you what we see in this gospel message is Jesus looking at Peter, who did not just have a moral failure, he completely denied knowing God, knowing Christ and what Christ was doing in those most crucial moments. And Jesus not only takes and restores him, he elevates, he reaches into his heart and he takes that ultimate purpose and he says, Peter, do not disqualify yourself from something that I've not disqualified you for. And he lifts it up in front of him. And so what I would say to you today is if you've ever thought to yourself, I've blown it here, I've done this, I've made this mistake, I've been divorced, I've made this, whatever, go down all of those things. I'm gonna tell you, it does not disqualify you from the ultimate purpose that God has in your life. This God is a restorative God and the work that he wants to do in your life is so beautiful. But here's the key, follow me, follow me. Find that place where you can look at what it was, wrestle it to the ground. God, it's yours. This is where I'm at. I see the reality of who I am. I give it to you and now let's go. Let's start in this transformation. Let's move in this process. And in your life, you will experience, I honestly believe, what God has for you. Um, that's my hope. And, and here's what I would say as, as we're closing out the service. Um, Easter was amazing. The last five months in the life of this church We've experienced growth that it just, it baffles me. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to see the amount of people that are connecting to the story, the amount of people that we're baptizing, the amount of families that we're a part of, and, and just, just doing life with. We're growing in, in children's ministry, we're growing, in, we're growing in all of these different areas. And here's what I would say to you. Stop disqualifying yourselves from the things that God has called you to because God is working here and now, and we need everybody to be a part of this kingdom. All hands on deck, everybody participating in the fullness of the purpose of the design that God has called you to because God needs you in this kingdom to raise up, to love, to connect, to bring people to Jesus, and you have a role to play in it. And so if it's just Scott today reaching into your heart and pulling that thing back out that you've let go dormant and raise it back up, I want you to consider it again because God will take those moments and he will use them for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? I'm so excited to be a part of what God is doing, and I want to invite every single one of you to be right in the middle of it. These days, hopefully, are the days that we're going to look back and say, <laughs> do you remember when? I hope it's not that we're looking back and going, oh, man, things have fallen apart. Do you remember when? I hope it's, do you remember where all this started, and we're just, we're continue on in the growth that God has for us? That's what we're in today, and so I invite you to be a part of that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, just so grateful for the work that you're doing in this church and in our lives. And, and today, I first of all pray for those who, who, who maybe have never opened up their heart and made the decision to believe. That God, whatever that takes, that I pray your Holy Spirit would soften their hearts and, and bring them to a place to where they would be open and available for you to just consume them, to transform them, to bring them to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, and, 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 and move us in this transformation towards a life that, that you have in store for us. And so I just pray, God, that in their heart of hearts that they would open up and, tr and pray and believe. And then for the rest of us, God, allow us to trust and believe what you say about us and not be convinced by those things that get into our heads that talk us out of the purpose and design you have for us. Oh God, we want to see the fullness of everything you've intended for us. And so help us to live into it. Raise our gifts, our skill sets, connect us, put us in positions where we can be effective. And God, we want to see kingdom grow starting right here in our community. We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you, if you will, to stand. And as we sing this last song, I encourage you to, to sing along with Jeff. Um, Addie's down front, um, and I'll be down front. If there's something we can pray with you about today, boy, we'd be so honored to do that. Allow these words to really speak to your heart. Follow you anywhere 
trust you Nothing to fear for you are by my side I'll follow you come together 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 one two if you're uh, there we go hey hey Joe thank you so much uh, I love this church man. I love how we can come together uh, whether we're agape whether we're phileo whether we love God with everything whether we love God some and we're working on it or whether we just fish naked we just come together despite our differences and we just say we worship 
and we grow and we serve and we love. If you're looking for ways you can continue to grow, maybe you're new here, we would love to meet you in our Next Steps room just right out in the lobby after this. And we also have a First Steps uh, luncheon coming up in two weeks uh, that we'd love for you to sign up with and, uh, and just, just join with us, just, just meet us. Thank you so much for gathering here with us and joining us online. We love you and we're so excited about these days after Easter where we can really put our, our faith into action and continue just to make a big impact in this community uh, for God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for calling us. God, whether we're a little or a lot, God, whether we're strange or we're different, or God, whether we're just uh, seem to be stuck. God, I thank you for being the God who restores, the God who forgives, the God who loves big enough, God, to receive us right where we are. Help us to get past ourselves. Help us to get past our past and move into this bright, new, beautiful day that you have for us. God, I pray that as we leave this place, we would not be hindered or held back by those things uh, from our past, but God, that you would help us to see who you have called us to be. Help us to see the people who we are, who you've created us to be. And we're gonna lean into that truth. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a wonderful week.